You're rapping about homosexuals and Vicodin. I can't sell this shit. I'll buy a ticket for you if you shut the fuck up and leave this red-headed dork alone. The flag, uh... That didn't fly till 1864 in the battles anyway. It was never in the Battle of Gettysburg. I'm there to watch guys beat the hell out of each other for 200 laps and then, you know, come to the finish line and, you know, there's nothing left. Janet, you ignorant slut. Fell onto the doorknob and it punched me in the eye. What are your guys' policies of George Washington cake? I think there's like an armed nunnery, you know, with like with like a medieval cannon out front or something. It's called the Battle of the Willoughby's. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you are just the ripper. Oh my gosh. You're only as great as your next achievement. So of course, I say no! Mine, come on in, the more the merrier! Oh my gosh. That that doesn't get you jacked up, I don't know what will. Get your balls tingling a little bit. Get your juices flowing down there, the blood You know what that guy was before he was a commander of uh, that regiment? Who's that? Lawrence Chamberlain. He was, Chamberlain? An, English, he was an English professor at uh, Bowden College in Maine. Yeah, Chamberlain I thought was like a Britishman. No. No, he was an American, but... Uh, I'm thinking of Neville Chamberlain. Oh, yeah, Neville. Yeah, the past. He did a great job. No, not really. He sucked. He's, just let him roll over us. Who, yeah. So, Chamberlain was an English professor at the University of Maine? Well, uh, at Bowden College. Bowden, I, I'm not pronouncing it right, and people from Maine are going to eviscerate me for that. All those Maine listeners. Yeah. Motherfuckers. Yeah, they better learn a thing or two from the history hour. Bob, I love the hat. I love the Phillies hat so much. Absolutely. Going old school. Got the Phillies here. It's, uh, I think, the uh, top of the fifth. Uh, We had a little bit of issues there in the bottom of the fourth. So uh, we're going to have to come back from that. Yeah, we got to, and we got to keep people posted. It's uh, 3 nothing Mets, and uh, they're in New York, right? Yes, they are. Yeah. What does the what does the crowd look like? I don't have that game on. I didn't even see the crowd. I'm sure it's uh, pretty dispersed. Uh, like uh, Vanessa and I got tickets to uh, Phillies Braves game down here in May. It's all it's all yes. spread out. It's all spread out in the stadium. So. Yeah, but that's that's so cool. You get to go. Yeah. No, it'll be fun. Be nice to go to a baseball game, have a beer and a hot dog, and uh, enjoy yes. America's pastime. That's what I'm looking forward to more than anything this year is being able to go to like a Dodgers game, get a Dodger dog, get a beer. I don't care how spread out I am, how far the seats are. I uh, I'm Actually, just it might be better game. that way. It could be. Nobody's going to show up anyway. There's not baseball fans here. Yeah. It'll be like COVID. What's that? We're just People just don't show up. The uh, Great show tonight. We got our good friend Bob back on the show. Always a pleasure to see you, sir. Another history hour. Later on in the show, I, Bob, I put together a special Civil War quiz for you. Oh, no. The winner gets a million dollars. The right. loser gets to uh, dress up like Joshua Chamberlain for Halloween this year. I will, By the way, I'll take either. 
Do you know? I would too. Do you know Joshua Chamberlain was the thirty-second governor of Maine, Bob? I did not know that. I didn't either. Uh, I couldn't tell you any governors of Maine ever, but no. yeah, apparently after the Civil War, he was uh, in office eighteen seventy-one to eighty-three as the sixth president of Bowden College, Bowden College, however you say it. And eighteen sixty-seven to eighteen seventy-one, he was the governor of Maine. One term. Well. When you uh, save the Union line at Gettysburg and essentially save the entire war, I guess uh, there's some uh, there's some dividends. Uh, you have to pay off some bets there. Uh, bets to be paid to you. Yeah, bets to be paid to you. What is the so you know you know more about the Civil War than anything than anybody ever? Yeah. Uh, I think no. even historians, and I'll take that to the bank. Stop. But you mentioned earlier today you you or your father were watching. Um, Ken Burns' documentary on Ernest Hemingway. Yes. And he also did the Civil War documentary. You've you've seen both of these, right? Yes. I haven't watched the Hemingway one. I've watched like 45 minutes of the first episode of the Hemingway one. Are you hooked? Are you like in the zone with it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's very boring. But it's... Is it? For anybody else outside, it's it's incredibly boring. But... I love it. It's like exhilarating. I love what Ken Burns does. I am a Ken's, Ken Burns whore, I guess you could say. In oh, yeah. He's how, great. In terms of how he frames it. And he's not the best historian around the block, but the way he – he's not a historian. The way he presents it is uh, excellent. Yeah, I agree. I've seen his work too, and it's it's like uh... – yeah, he's not the best around there, but he's like the most fun. He's the one you're going to watch because he's he brings he does in a good the best, job. and he brings in the best to uh, to tell the story uh, behind everything. So he does. He's PBS's golden child, I think. He is. He really is. They're making a fortune on him. Oh yeah, they're going to keep riding that cash cow until they can't anymore. It's going to be anything. Ken Burns doing a you know a six part series on uh, plastic milk bottles from the forties. Yeah, great. Great. I'd watch, watch it. it. I'd watch I it. I would watch it. I bought, I'm excited. I bought two books recently on your recommendation. The same book, one for my father and one for me. I took a gamble because I know you're so good. So I just got it for him for his birthday. It's uh, David McCulloch's uh, Truman, the Truman biography. That's his best one. You. That's what you said. And if you say that, then it's true because you're always on the money with the books. Why is it so good? Does he just like nail into it? Yeah, he gets into everything. He goes into Truman, and it's almost like you can skip. Like, I really enjoyed reading about how Truman became who he was, but I really more enjoyed reading about how Truman was at a, as a president uh, after he took over from FDR and how that happened. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was. I'm gonna say it. It was exhilarating. Yeah, but, there's a cool story where. You said he found out he was president while like he was drinking or something late at night. Yeah, he was in the Capitol because he used to be a he used to be in Congress. And so he knew all the congressmen. And that's pretty much why uh, he was on the ticket in uh, 44, I think, with uh, Roosevelt um, because he could garner some of those votes um, and he could help. you know, run the Congress a little bit too, which is really important for a vice president to be able to do. And uh, he, 
he was actually having he was playing a card game and was having some scotch with uh, some other congressmen in the basement of the Capitol when the word came that Roosevelt died and uh, he got a call and they didn't tell him Roosevelt died. He just said, you need to go to the White House right now. And Truman was notorious for he never took a motorcade. And back in those days, we're talking back in 1945. Yeah. Um, there wasn't the Secret Service presence. There wasn't anything like that going on. Uh, no. Yeah. Much- I. You look at old pictures of like the presidents then, and they were they could kind of like just walk around. Yeah, you could still up until uh, probably World War Two, you you could still as uh, an American, you know, a regular citizen, walk up to the White House and knock on the front door. Up until yeah, that's 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 so unbelievable. Like it's crazy, but you could. It wasn't until like Kennedy got assassinated that they really started taking it more seriously, right? Well, I think it was after uh, Truman had the assassination attempt at the Blair House with the Puerto Rican nationals uh, that tried to. Uh, kill him there they they actually tried to assassinate a bunch of congressmen in the uh in the house chamber and there's still bullet holes in the house chamber oh uh, no way hey not from the january 6th insurrection by uh, a no. bunch of morons no they weren't able to shoot off their own wad in their pants yeah no they were ridiculous uh but they were. truman actually uh you know there were they had two men outside of the blair house which the blair house um I don't know how familiar anybody is with with the White House and Lafayette Square, but I'll explain it to you. The White House sits, you know, at the base of Lafayette Square. And if you go off to like a hard right angle, a 45 degree left left angle on uh, the White House, that's where the Blair House sits. And that was actually built uh, during uh, President Jackson's era. Oh, wow. Uh, and the Blair House is where the vice president lives. Uh, no. No. They have their own residence. Like, what? What is the Blair House? The Blair House is where uh, it was where dignitaries would live. It was where uh, Montgomery Blair, I believe, it was uh, Andrew Jackson, Secretary of State, lived for a little while, and he built the house there. I'm I could be totally wrong there, but I know I know it was built during the Jackson era. And so Truman was there because Truman was in the Blair House because the White House was being rebuilt from the inside out. It was being totally gutted. The White House you see today is only a facade. Uh, everything else inside is uh, has been rebuilt circa 1948. Oh, okay. So the assassins came in the front of the Blair House and started shooting up towards Truman. And Truman actually stuck his head out the window. Oh, shit. And looked, and a Secret Service agent yanked him back in. Uh, That's crazy. They were shoot, the Puerto Rican nationalists were shooting up, and Truman just had his head like hanging out the window? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and he would walk everywhere. And he walked to, and going back to the, the genesis of this, uh, when he got the word that he needed to go to the White House, when... Uh, Roosevelt died. He didn't know what happened. Nobody told him. They just said, you need to go to the White House. He walked, he started walking out of the Capitol to the White House. And he used to walk at such a clip that they had to have like special Secret Service agents there to be able to keep up with him because his. Oh, he had a, he had a little pep in his foot. Yeah. Yeah. 
And they finally pulled a car up and said, you know, Vice President Truman, get in the car here. We're going to take you to the White House. He got in the car. They went to the White House. And then there was the swearing in uh, with Eleanor, you know, in the Oval Office um, with Harry Truman, you know. And Harry Truman famously says to Eleanor, you know, uh, what what is it I can do for you? And Eleanor says back to him, no, Mr. President, what can I do for you? Wow. That's very humbling and very touching. Yeah. I'm really excited to get into this book, too. And Truman is a fascinating guy. You know, his middle name doesn't even stand for anything, S. It's just S, which is funny. Yeah, and he used to be out after he was president, you know, in uh, his his front lawn. He'd mow his own front lawn, and his wife would get onto him. I think it was Bess, Bess Truman, would get onto him because uh, he'd be wearing just a T-shirt, mowing his front lawn, and she's like, that's unbecoming of a former president. Wait, they, oh, this was post-presidency? He yeah, was out post, mowing lawn. post-presidency. post-presidency. And the Secret Service had a hell of a time with him there because – he had no concept of stoplights. So he'd be blowing stoplights and like they, they eventually had to not let him drive. Oh man. He just blew right through him. Yeah. He had, because when he was, the president, <laughs> you know, they weren't there in his hometown. And when he came back, there were stoplights and you know, he, uh, he had to abide by him and he didn't. He's from independence, Missouri, right? Yes. Is that where he retired to? Yes. And that's where, so that's where the uh, library is. Presidential library is, yeah. Have you been there to the library? No. No, I've never been to Missouri. I would want to see that if I were. Yeah, I'd like to see touch. that. Other than that, not a huge No, story. there's no reason to go. Why would we go there? But I'm really excited to read this book, though. It's cool. So after he found out he was going to be president, and they did that exchange, him and Eleanor, about, like, what can I do for you? I mean, that's a pretty special, like, one of those historical moments, you know, that you're going to remember. Yeah. Uh, that kind of respect. Before, like he wasn't even read into the atomic bomb at that point. Uh, and you're talking, gosh, I think this is April. Uh, it was April. 1945. Um, yeah. So we're pushing, we pretty much have uh, the Germans crushed in, uh, in Europe, but we're right. still fighting uh, it's still, you know, really bad fighting in the Pacific with the Japanese. Um, and he had no idea about the atomic bomb and they had to swear him in and then read him in on all of that. Oh, wow. So, Could you imagine like, hey, I'm now the president, the former president died. And by the way, this is happening during this. Yeah, war. They, basically, we have a God bomb. Oh, it's crazy. Was an little. Go ahead. That uh, a god bomb that can end the war. Yeah, they, it, it, they anticipated that by dropping the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it would save like a million American lives or something like that. Like it would have cost that much to invade oh, Japan. More, yeah. If it you think about it, too. that would have been another like five, six years too to invade Japan, right? It would have been ugly. We would have won, but it would have been a, at a, a great cost. Yeah, it would have been a bloodbath for yeah. sure. For, for both sides. Um, yeah, definitely would have won. But um, did Roosevelt die in Georgia? Or am I, am I pulling that out of my ass? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's Warm oh, he did. Springs, Georgia. Yes. Because I remember he was in Georgia, I read, and 
he was like, I have a terrible headache kind of thing. And that was it. Like he was dead. Yeah. He had, uh, he was in failing health and there were some pictures that, and this is in a time too, when the press would actually help shield the president from bad press. Um, in that yes. time, uh, up until probably right until Watergate, uh, with Nixon, uh, you would see the press really, uh, you know, they would hold stories back on the president, like, you know, with Kennedy's uh, affairs and things like that. There's a lot of people that knew about that in the press that didn't report it. But yeah, Ken- Kennedy and- loved the press, too, or they loved yeah. him. So Exactly. Know. So he fed them what they needed. They needed to get to make their stories. And then they would, in turn, hold back what, uh, you know, the fallacies, all those, all those sins going on. And Warren G. Harding, too. Wasn't he like big into the ladies? Didn't he like used to sneak girls around, too? Oh yeah, yeah. He uh, gambled away the uh, White House china. Yeah, <laughs> he was the tea dome scandal guy, right? Yeah, that was when presidents didn't really matter. That was when industry took over, and the presidents were kind of like a check on that. But no. yeah, there's that gray period where it's just like this guy, this guy, this guy, and it was kind of like, yeah, J.P. Morgan's kind of running the country. Andrew Carnegie's running the show. Yeah. The uh, the thing that's cool about Truman, though, is. Um, I like, well, there's a lot of things cool about it, but the election, um, the re-election, Dewey defeats Truman. Yeah. They they kind of blew their load on that, the newspaper. What was yeah. that about? Truman was behind in the polls, and Truman, he knew this. And he, he uh, I don't know too much about this, and I have to refresh my memory, because it's been probably 20 years since I read that book. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to... No, it's okay, but but he went on like a whistle stop train tour, yeah, around the country, like an old school train tour. Even by those standards in that day, back in nineteen forty eight, it was probably you know antiquated, and but it was cool. Like the people thought it was kind of cool, kind of like you know vinyl coming back right now. You know, something like that, you know. Yeah, it's nostalgic. Like, yo, he's coming on a train. It's like what Teddy Roosevelt used to do. Yeah. So he went on this whistle stop tour and just like campaigned the hell out of himself. And they thought Tom (laughs) Dewey was going to defeat Truman. Well, you have that paper from the, I believe it's the Chicago Tribune where Truman's holding it up and smiling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. He printed it too early before all the returns came in. And Truman barely beat Dewey, but, and he actually left office with one of the lowest approval ratings, but he was probably one of the best presidents that we have ever had just because of the decisions he had to make in terms of dropping the atomic bombs, the Marshall Plan in Europe, you know, to rebuild Europe after it was been bombed out by the Nazis and to the removal of uh, MacArthur, uh, you know, on the, uh, the 33rd parallel, the 36th parallel. Yeah, um, why did he do that? Just because of the uh Because MacArthur was an asshole. He was an asshole, wasn't he? Isn't that what they say, like, historically? Yeah, he was, a, he was a great general. I mean, he was a great army general, but he was an asshole. I mean, he even, like, after Pearl Harbor, he, uh, Roosevelt, uh, after, right after Pearl Harbor, Roosevelt uh, wired him because MacArthur was in the Philippines. So... You would think after that we get hit in Hawaii, they sink our entire Pacific Naval fleet. They they screw us over there. They're going to go try to wipe us out 
you know, wherever we are over in the uh, archipelago. Yeah, I would think so. With Japan. Right. And, uh, archipelago? I, I don't even know. Don't yeah, know. archipelago. Uh, A bunch but, of little islands. And Roosevelt wires uh, MacArthur and says, you know, be aware, we have uh, we've just been uh, sneak attacked in uh, Pearl Harbor. And MacArthur says, uh, well, sir, our noses are to the ground and our tails are in the air. And uh, he did nothing. We got bombed like two days later there and got wiped out. Really? He was no treat, but he was a he was a good general. You know, I don't want to take anything away from him. Yeah, he yeah, was a good general. Was Truman, <laughs> was Truman not dissimilar? Was he similar, like kind of like bless you, to uh, George Bush in the sense of like a low approval rating, but he still did a lot for like the war in George Bush's case, war on terrorism and getting that kind of under control. I think Truman, what happened with Truman is I think he took a lot of the brunt of some of the negative aspects, you know, when he was going through the Korean War, because that. Uh, yeah, that overlapped some of his presidency. He uh, he took the brunt all on that. And that was basically a stalemate. And that wasn't going very well. I mean, no. we just won a world war. Why the hell are we in uh, North Korea fighting these bastards? Yeah, that was kind of a lot of the national sentiment, too. It's like, yo, we just beat Germany and Japan in this all-out, you know, bloody war. Like, why are, we, why are we doing this again with this? Why is this happening? Yeah, but, I think there was a lot of that. And uh, it's amazing, too, because the economy was booming at that time. But Truman kind of remained unpopular, I think, because of that Korean conflict. And he just couldn't get out from under it. And if you read his book, I think, quite honestly, he didn't really care. I mean, he knew what he was done at that point. He's like, whatever, I'm going for a walk. Well, he knew what he was doing was right for the country and, you know, set it in place, you know, for my predecessor. So and then they can do whatever they whatever they feel fit, you know, whatever the situation dictates, because it yeah. changes, too. Um, yeah, you're talking. It did change over <laughs> time. And Truman was. The seceded, not seceded, but after his second term, it was Eisenhower was next, right? So yeah. they were still kind of in that World War II, post-World War II, boomer, like greatest generation kind of era where it was America. So the logical choice is the general, the five-star general. Yeah. Eisenhower wasn't a politician. No. <clears throat> he was an unbelievable general. Oh, a, yeah. A great human being and uh, of, of great morals, and that's why he could— you know, move the presidency, but really in terms of Eisenhower, he didn't really take on anything that monumental during his term. No, no, I read a lot on Eisenhower too, because you know, I always found him fascinating, this great general and spent time in Gettysburg and, um, you know, like he lived, lived there. Lived, had an he lived there. on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah, like just an interesting guy, but his presidency wasn't extremely notable in that, like he had all these accomplishments in the 50s. No, basically sense. we had the build up to the Cold War, and I think you know he handled it. He handled it adequately. I, uh, you know, yeah, it was uh, it was something that then was spinning out of control in terms of uh, you know that's why he gave that speech right before he left office of you know uh, 
this war machine that we're creating and yes bad this is and coming from a industrial complex coming from the guy who won d-day who basically saved the fucking world oh yeah saved europe and the fucking world for him to 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 excoriate the 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 defense industrial complex like that uh that was pretty monumental um and kudos to eisenhower too when kennedy had his fallout with the bay of pigs uh him and eisenhower went to camp david and had a weekend there and kennedy was able to uh talk to him and you know talk about how he would have handled that i don't know what they talk that's pretty cool yeah basically they they were able to they will they were able to talk and and figure things out and kennedy was much better for it coming out of it yeah definitely supported it you know being an ex-president on the other side of the ticket too you know it doesn't matter country first yeah exactly and it was like a scary time too because you have this post-war boom okay everything's great and then there's this new threat, hence the Cold War of like nuclear war. Or, you know, you're you're practicing going under, you know, bomb drills and bomb uh, bomb shelters and things like that. And then you have president after president after president. But then like the Soviets, it's like the same guy for a while. It's like Stalin, Khrushchev, and Brezhnev, and you know, it's like all these like guys that are running for like eight, ten years, twelve years, whatever. And it's like this weird, scary kind of uncertain time. Yeah. Yeah, and it all led into that. And, you know, Truman, you know, he couldn't really see the writing on the wall. I think, uh, you know, with what he did with Israel, you know, he he, he basically created the, the conflict that we have today by carving out uh, a piece of land for Israelis to reside in, you know, and then you have the whole Holy Land conflicts over there where the borders aren't quite right. Um, yeah. Truman couldn't yeah, he's like, here it is. Yeah, you really can't blame him for that. Um, no. But I think Truman has to rank up there with one of our top three top three presidents <clears throat> for what he had to uh, overcome and what he had to do and the way he handled it. What I really like about Truman and his wife is the one thing the White House staff had to get used to with Truman and his wife were the five o'clock uh, cocktails. Oh, I'm all about that. I'll take Truman happy hour. What did they do? <laughs> they served drinks at five? Yes. And Truman liked a bourbon, and, his, and I believe his wife did too. They liked a little bit of bourbon and water. Oh, nice. And I guess at first they weren't getting the right mix. And so the White House staff was trying to like you know figure this out, and then finally... They just poured like three fingers for Truman, three fingers for his wife, and like a little splash of water, and there were no complaints after that. So oh, there you go. They have to get the the chemistry right. Yeah. And make it the right bourbon. Yeah. Bourbon, ice, water. Yeah. Do that mix. And you'll read that in the book, and I'm probably somewhat wrong in that, but uh, they they like their five o'clock cocktails. And Truman was also president when the White House had to be torn, essentially torn down. It's yeah, because when they gutted that out to do the remodeling, I, I've seen pictures of that, where it's like you know it's like scaffolding and everything, and it's like you don't yeah. really get to enjoy it. They totally shuttled out. So the only, if you look at the White House today, the white part that you see out in the front is a self-standing structure. That's it. That's the only original structure. 
Inside is what they rebuilt in 1948. Oh, wow. 1952. So it's all fairly modern, I mean, compared to the, oh, yeah. the original structure. Yeah, it's never going to fall down. I mean, they put like beams in there that were used for skyscrapers. So it's not going it, to, it, it'll be fine for, you know, probably another 500 years. There you go. It's got to be tough to be a president with all that free alcohol there that you can just like push a button and get it. I, I would, I wouldn't last very long. I mean, maybe I would, but I'd be like, yeah, you know, what? it's a little stressful. Let's get a scotch in here. It's only two p.m. Come on, I'm the president. Let's go. Eh, well, you got to be a little You got to be a little cogent there, you know, in case. Uh, oh, uh, Mr. President, the uh, we have uh, fifty-two Russian fighters coming over the top of the Arctic Circle right now. Yeah, you got to be alert. You can't be <laughs> sloshed. Yeah. Their, with the bearing straight is but I'm sure they I'm gigs. sure Scott's lost but there was actually a point during Nixon's term where uh Harry uh Henry Harry Henry Kissinger uh basically told uh the Secretary of Defense uh to tell down to his people do not take what the president says in terms of any type of nuclear attack it comes from me cuz Nixon was so lit on uh painkillers and alcohol. That's true, isn't it? I've read about that. He really like yeah. abused that. Yeah. I and mean, I'm sure other presidents have been in that state where they couldn't potentially, you know, call that at that point. But you know, with Nixon, I guess it was uh during the Watergate stuff and he was paranoid and he was in a bad place and yeah. kind of did the right thing there. He was, yeah. He glad that he kind of stepped in. It was like, hey, anything this big, it's coming from me. Yeah. No nuclear codes. The yeah. Kissinger uh, Nixon relationship is kind of interesting too. When you when you look at that whole dynamic, and especially around Watergate and what happened after that, because you're talking about this guy Nixon, just so isolated from paranoia, in paranoia from reality and just what's going on. It was almost like. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of Trump sometimes. You know how it's kind of like, well, we're going to do very this small, and this. Very small inner circle. Very small inner circle. A lot of yes men. A lot of this will be fixed, but a lot of secret recordings. Just yeah, nobody's really going to tell you the truth. <clears throat> yeah, a lot of cloak and dagger stories. Pretty fascinating. But I'll keep you posted on the Truman book. I'm really excited to read it. Yeah, Once I, I get I done with the Bernstein Bears. And I want you to uh, fly down here, and uh, if you don't like it, just punch me in the face. I would never do that, but I will fly down there. We're actually planning the wife and I to go to Georgia this year, and uh, we're gonna. But you know, my brother was just there this weekend in Atlanta for like two yeah. days. Yeah, he. I didn't. I guess he was down there for work or something. But he sent me a picture when he got back at the aquarium. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. My friend Bob yeah, was down the aquarium, there. You have the Coke Museum, and then you have uh, the Coke Museum. You have some. Uh, Fine plantation homes. Some fine, beautiful, uh, good southern cooking and plantation homes. But actually, we have uh, just up just up the street from where I live is uh, the plantation home where uh, Ulysses S. Grant. No, not Grant. Robert E. Lee. No. Stonewall Jackson. No, it was Grant. It was Ulysses S. Grant where he was born. Really? He was born here. He was a southern man. Uh no. No, he grew up in Ohio, but he was born here. Wow, interesting. He was born in a plantation home? Yeah, and you can take tours of that any day you want. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful home. Is it? Is it? Is it a public like museum now kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. 
and I've gone there for uh, some like history book stuff, you know, just oh, cool. to hear, like some historian like bloviate about what they know. Kind of like <laughs> doing now, and nobody gives a shit. No, everybody cares when Bob talks. No, I, no, yes, they do. You're the best. When, when you go to when you go to any of these history tours in the South, do you ever get any backwoods history? Like the War of Northern Aggression was often mistaken. I, left, I I stayed for the uh, I stayed for the uh, presentation. I left for the questions. I left. <laughs> it's. It's you just out there. I mean, there's like guys who probably have like train tracks in their basement and wow. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not I'm not into all that stuff. I just want to hear like the good stuff from somebody yeah. it and then I'm out. Yeah, I'm get not the there. hell out of there for the discussion. Yeah. Cause I'm gonna be uh, you know, smashing <laughs> heads in door jams. What's so, that? I'm gonna be smashing heads into door jams if I stay there. Yeah, there's definitely people with a lot of railroad tracks in the basement. You're wondering what's going on there. Yeah. Now that, you know what a cool place is, speaking of uh, railroads, an underground railroad. If you're, you've been to the Wax Museum in Gettysburg? No. I never made it there when I was there. I've been there three times, and I never made it there. I don't know if it's open anymore. It might be, but uh, it's a cool place. It's not as great as you think. It 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 is like kind of a poor man's museum. Nothing is as great as you think. No, it's not. But it is cool though, because you do you they reenact scenes like they show Robert E. Lee in his tent, like looking at battle plans during the battle, and they show, you know, Stonewall Jackson and uh, or they show I forget who it was, but there's like a cool scene of some Confederate generals like going over plans, and they show Grant. Um, it's just a cool, yeah, it was a cool museum. It was like a fun, as a kid, it was fun to like go through. I figure if we ever make it up there, we should check that out. It was a fun, fun yeah. spot. No, dude, next time I go to Gettysburg, uh, you're with me. So, oh, hell yeah. We had, it's a pilgrimage that's needed at this point. And we're going to, we're going to spend the money to have like the, uh, park guy with us to tell us about everything and get us out of the car. And, you know, Hey guys, I'm not looking dig for some bullets. I need to find some book. You could teach him a thing. I don't think there's any no, park no. guy that could tell us something that you don't already know. Nah, in terms of bathrooms and stuff like that, those guys are uh, fantastic. Those guys are great, too. My wife and I, one of the times we were back in Philadelphia, like this was maybe like five, six years ago, but we went to like Independence Hall and I showed her like, you know, all the old buildings and she had a question and the park guide was so like knowledgeable and it was freezing out and he gave her his gloves and he's like i have an extra pair of gloves just take these and i was like this is exactly what you want to see like her first time in philadelphia and you're getting this like great experience about the history you know and they're they're so knowledgeable like they know they really care about their jobs for the most part which is what you want to hear yeah you don't just get some slouch that's just like ah i'm texting i gotta be off work yeah something happened here it was a long time ago a lot of guys died a lot of guys die. We got to find bullets over up there. We need to get metal detectors and get bullets. We need to do it right. You can do that. That's easy. I mean, you can do that because a lot of these Civil War battlefields, the protected parts are there's not a whole lot of protected parts, and there's a lot of unprotected parts that where they fought heavy, and it's just not accounted for. So it would be in the trees, maybe. No, in the ground. You'd have to get in the ground. Yeah, and you're going to find, like, belt buckles, 
cufflinks, uh, like buttons. From the from Gettysburg? <sighs> yeah. Probably. We gotta get up there. We gotta get in there. The belt buckles would I, be I think somebody famous. might shoot us though if we start going around even like in the Hardies over there with the uh, <laughs> detectors. Get off my land. Yeah. This is a drive through, son. <laughs> oh Hardies. I love Hardies and Arby's. I love them both. Both give you a horrible diarrhea. Oh yeah, and and a heart attack. Mm-hmm. But Arby's though, pound for pound, that roast beef sandwich with the gravy, forget about it. Yeah. It's the best. I'd kill my whole family for that. Oh, easily. It's it's delicious. Is Arby's down there in Georgia? Oh yeah. Yeah. We have everything here. You got you guys got the meats. Bring it on. Bring it on. Uh just a little update on the Phillies. We are in mid sixth inning. Phillies still trailing the Mets zero to three. Uh top of the sixth. And uh this is the first of a three game series. Phillies are first, Bob. They're in first place. Yeah, that's good to see. We'll see. It's going to be a tough division this year. I think it is. Uh, we'll be. Uh, I'll be very happy with a wild card berth, and uh, you know, yes. make some noise. See what we can do. There's a lot of competition, and these guys are hungry this year. Last year, with the ups yeah. and downs and the canceled games and COVID, like it's it it feels more like baseball to me this year. Yeah, but last year it was kind of like. The world's going to end. What's happening? Now it's kind of like we're getting it back down to business. Yeah. Now what like what has given you the most comfort during COVID? You know, sports, podcasts, Bob, Bob, personal. You, Bob, talking to you. No, stop it. Stop yeah, it. Absolutely. Having friends around like you. That's what gives me the most comfort. Okay, but expound on that a little bit more. Uh, you know what I like the, the most comforting? And then I want to ask you the same question because that's a good sure. question. Yeah. Uh, continuity. I like the sense of continuity of things. A lot of the, they shut down Disneyland. I'm not even a big Disneyland guy, but the fact that Disney shut down, I was like, oh shit, this is bad. And Major League Baseball shut down. I'm like, oh, what the fuck is going on? Everything shut down. So I did like to see continuity. Continuity with friends, people still keeping their jobs. I did like continuity of, uh, for the most part, like television, um, shows, Film maybe before the pandemic still kind of kept a schedule, late night shows, uh, anything anything really to do with continuity that wasn't really paused by COVID. I mean, everything was paused in some way, but the continuity of things I appreciate. Yeah. What about you? What what kept you sane? No, I, I guess I should say my wife. Yeah, you should probably add that. Yeah, she. My wife kept me sane. It's good. Yeah, and and I'll start out with that. You know. I'm yeah. cheating. Uh, but uh, yeah, Vanessa kept me sane. Uh, of course. Getting to be us being together, that's what made us get married, essentially, was COVID. So it wasn't all bad. Yeah, there you go. See, that's a oh, silver lining. Let's pump the brakes and let's see how this goes. Pump the brakes. What ha- So what kept you like, what was the thing that kept you alive during COVID? I think the biggest thing was... And this is going to be hokey as hell. And I want you to fly down here. I want you to book your tickets. Oh. I want you to punch me in the fucking face. No way. But NASCAR came back in May. Yes. And it was the first sport to truly come back, to come back and run a full race. And I know I'm biased, absolutely. But 
And I know people do not like NASCAR. They may not appreciate it. They may never have been. They may have been. They don't like it. That's fine. You know, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But they were the first ones to come back in May. Yes, we we did did a show right around there. We talked about that. They were like doing it. And they did it right because they didn't have a flaw. Then they went on with their season and they didn't really have too many flaws. Yeah, a couple drivers got sick. A couple things happened. But they were able to still make their marks, hit their marks, and run their races, which is a big deal. You're talking NASCAR is – it's a traveling circus essentially. You know, you're taking these cars and putting them all over the country – in terms of where they run their races. Yeah. It's amazing they were able to do that. And they did it before, uh, you know, the NBA shut down. They did it before everybody, you know. Those pussies. And I think a lot of these sports, they won't admit it, but they took uh, a lesson from how NASCAR did it and how, Good. how, how you know, it, it sucked. There were no fans in the stands, but – yeah, races. Yeah, but they did it, and yeah, the fact that other sports, other sports and other organizations took lead from they should have. And I remember we talked about that early on. I think it was Darlington was the race. Yeah, it was the first race. You're right. Man. Yeah, we talked about that, and I was like, it was so crazy to hear that then because you're like, what? They're still doing this? And yeah. you were like, well, if you think about it, you're it's like the safest sport for COVID. You're in a car, you're contained, and you're like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and the they did that over the wall. They pit the car, and that's it. You know, did they, did they get any uptick of fans or like numbers of viewers during this time? Because I, I feel like with that being the only thing going, they should have gotten like more people on board with NASCAR. I don't think so. I, yeah. I don't think they did. I think NASCAR right now is lacking a lot of things, competition and things like that. Aero push. There's a lot of stuff that goes into the competition. But basically what comes down to it is NASCAR is trying to change the game next year with a new car that they're going to come out with. Uh, that will kind of change the game um, where it will it, it, it will make for a more competitive race week in and week out. So casual fans will look in, you know, if they're done watching baseball or NFL or NBA, they'll look into an NASCAR race and like, oh, I want to watch the last like 40 laps of this race. You know, that's what NASCAR is going for because that's what – that's what hooks a fan. Those last like 40 laps, something amazing. Oh, yeah. You watch those last 40 laps after it's the TV, game or whatever. Like, just like hockey. Like hockey. Yeah. Fans, hockey. TV does hockey no justice. You watch a hockey game in person. I mean, that's intense shit. 100%. Hockey to me is the most exciting sport to watch live. Awesome. Hockey on TV is like the worst. Because yeah. you don't know what's going on. You can't see the yeah. puck. It's like NASCAR is the same thing because you have like two cars they're showing and all that shit. But at a race, you know, you're seeing the whole track. And in terms of some things like, you know, you're not going to know what's going on the whole time. And like things get spread out. But with this new car, it's going to keep them more bunched up. It's going to be more in the driver's hands. It's going to be more entertaining. So What do you mean more in the driver's hands? More like they have a better call over. Yeah, the car is going to handle poorly. So the driver has to make the adjustments, like and oh. to you know figure it out. Do Sounds I like a bold move. Corner, do I roll into it? You know, do I cut the bottom on it? And then you can really kind of like pick your driver who you like. Yeah, and then you could if you give him more control too. It really boils down to more 
Like but the skill of the like driver. With the NBA or, you know, NFL or the MLB, you know, you pick a guy because he's a clutch hitter. Uh, he's a clutch receiver. You like his swag. You like what you like what he says off camera. And I think NASCAR, they're trying to do that. They're not very successful at it, but they're trying. It's a slow and steady build. It's kind of, of, there. It's kind of like it's a jalopy going forward. It's a jalopy. Speaking of NASCAR, this past weekend was the at the Martinsville Speedway, Bob. Something happened? Yes. Martin Truex won. However, there was a massive pileup on the back. Yeah, street. what happened? What was that? That was because uh, a couple drivers were a little angry at each other. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know about Martinsville, Martinsville is a half-mile racetrack, and it's shaped like a paperclip. So very oh, sharp damn. corners, very long straightaways, like dragster straightaways in the throttle, off the throttle, into the binders, into the brakes, going around the corner. And uh, it tends to make people angry. And it makes for great racing and great entertainment. And yeah, I, wouldn't you be pissed if you have to navigate these turns while trying to win a race? You'd be like, what the fuck? Well, not just that, but a guy's in your way and you're trying to pass a guy. Oh. and. But not only that, but like you're second place and the leader's right in front of you. You're passing. They have to pass lap cars, too. So Couldn't do it. Coming to the equation. So you're pissed at them. You're pissed at the driver in front of you. You're pissed at everybody. It makes for good stuff. Makes for good stuff. Yeah, it gets me sweaty in the palms just thinking about yeah. that. It's like, how the yeah. fuck do you it's do nice that? It's nice. when It's entertaining when NASCAR drivers are angry. And they're going to Richmond this weekend. So they're going to be angry again. It's another short track. It's another... Uh, I think it's 0. 0.533 or something. Oh, where's the where's this weekend at? Richmond. Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. Richmond, oh. Virginia. 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 I wonder if NASCAR racers, when they're driving in the offseason, like the regular cars with their families, if it feels too much like work for them. And they're like, fuck this. Or if they love, Davey love Allison, automobiles. Davey Allison, a lot of these guys now, they have like training regimens. And they like lift weights and you know do cardio and bike and all that other crap. Really? Davy Allison, who used to drive the twenty eight Haviland car back in the early uh, late eighties and early nineties, used to roll up his windows in July in North Carolina, and it's hot as shit there, oh. and would drive around town with his windows closed just to condition himself. Yeah. Damn, that's dedication. That's also dangerous. Yeah. Well, the race car in the race car back then, too, they didn't have the cooling mechanisms they have now. But back then, you know, and even now in the race car, it gets up to 140 degrees. That's insane, man. How do you breathe? No. Well, those guys are dedicated. That's that. That does make sense, though, to condition yourself that way. Like, yo, you're going to be in this 130 degree car. Let's uh, let's get used to this. Yeah. Crazy. Who was a better NASCAR driver, pound for pound, Richard Petty or Dale Earnhardt? Dale Earnhardt. And that's because of his legacy and what he did in the, on the track? I say that because Richard Petty came from Lee Petty, his father, who already started the organization. And Richard Petty had some grounding to do that. I'm not taking anything away from Richard Petty. Rich, what Richard Petty did was unbelievable back in the uh, 60s and 70s. But what Dale Earnhardt did in the 70s and 80s and early 90s, unbelievable. Like, unmatched. Can't touch it. Can't touch it. He came from nothing and raced his way into everything. 
also, isn't it fair to say, that's a good point, that Dale brought in more fans of people that weren't fans of the sport that were fans of him? Because everybody knew who he was, even if you don't know a lick of th- about NASCAR. You knew who he was. Yeah, Dale Earnhardt knew that when he started like moving people around on the track, you know, hitting them, moving them, uh, he knew that uh, that was going to create a reaction. So what Dale Earnhardt did, and he was the first NASCAR driver to do this, was he trademarked his name. And he trademarked his name, like for merchandising purposes. Exactly. Wow. And opened up an entire merchandising business on on his name. That's probably why Richard Petty had so much spinoff merchandise crap back in the day. I remember but in the eighties, all flowed to the other drivers because then all the other drivers did it. But even when all the other drivers did it, Dale Earnhardt still got a piece of it because it was all still his. So he probably made more money off that than any like company that would sponsor him. He he was a guy who didn't graduate high school, and he knew, and he was just a hard racer. He was a freaking grease monkey, essentially, who could drive a car. But he knew he could say that, yeah. And he knew how to push his name. And what an amazing man! Yeah, it's pretty Budweiser commercial of him will make me cry if I watch that. Well, that's Dale Jr. Yeah. Dale Jr. That commercial, the eyes itch if I see that. Yeah. You that's, know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, that's a that's a rough one to watch. I don't know why I would still see that because it's not airing anywhere, but I do see it once in a while. I think you've posted it before too, but I yeah. you see that and you're like, get you, man. Well, too, like it was unbelievable. So. <sighs> In 2001, we had, uh, you know, Dale Sr. dies at the Daytona 500. He, he gets killed. Dale Jr. wins the next race at Daytona in July, which is the Pepsi, at that time was the Pepsi 400. He wins that race, you know, after his daddy died at the same track, wins that race. And then 9-11 happens in September. That's right. I remember I had tickets to Dover. Uh, my dad and I, and we were supposed to go to Dover on, I think that race was like September 21st, September 23rd, something like that. Yeah. NASCAR washed the whole weekend out after 9-11, just like every other sports. Like, I think yeah. we shut down. We shut down that. Other, the, the NFL, everybody stopped. They, they didn't do anything. And NASCAR was not the first one to come back, but the biggest sport to come back at Dover on that weekend it was 180,000 people in one place after 9-11 on September 23rd, 2001. Wow. That's a testament. I was there for that. They had Cal Ripken waving the American flag, Lee Greenwood singing proud to be an American. No way. If you, if you were an American, Mr. America there, it's porn. It was awesome. Oh yeah. Oh, I would love that. And Dale Jr. goes out in that race and wins it. That's amazing. That's and a then touching does black around the track with a huge American flag. He sticks it in his car, a huge American flag around the track. Oh, man. Make, that's amazing. That's beautiful, yeah. especially given the obviously what happened on 9-11, but the spirit of the country, like America prevails. We're going to get through this. That's very touching and beautiful. The only thing that would make that better is I, I couldn't even think of it. Like That's, that's very touching. Actually, I can say I would make it better. Bob, 
flying in on a Saturn V and landing. Somehow landing. They modified it to land. That would make it more American. <laughs> yeah, they unfortunately uh, declined that. Yeah, what were you going to say? I'm sorry, Mr. Saturn. No, but they uh, – and Dover Air Force Base is just off – like Dover Speedway is there in Dover, Delaware, and Dover Air Force Base is literally just off of uh, turns two and three. And uh, what, like, rings home for me is that, like, we're, we're looking over there, and there were no planes flying in the air at that time. There was no flyover. NASCAR always had a huge flyover, like, big time. You know, military presence, all this stuff. But all that shit was, you know, reapportioned over in New York City and then down seas. Oh, yeah. Down range overseas. Um, but, you know, you look at uh, where all of our soldiers who are killed in Iraq and Afghanistan and overseas are, uh, that's where they come back to our country. Right there off of turns two and three in Dover. Oh, uh, really? It's Dover, Dover where they come in? Dover Air Force Base. Yep. Wow. That's where they come in, and that's where the bodies are processed. Oh, shit. That's very somber. That's very sad. Yeah. God bless them, man. For real. Those are heroes. Yeah. Especially uh, to see that after 9-11. This place was packed, and they gave everybody a little American flag coming in, and there was... Did they really? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Do you still have the flag? No. I blame... I blame John for that. He's not here to defend himself. I think he stole it. It was me. My dad was unfortunately not able to go with me. Uh, and I was a senior in high school at that time. My dad couldn't go with me because he was on the pile in New York City. Um, oh, wow. Called to respond to it uh, with our agency. And yeah. my brother Pete and I went and uh, drove there ourselves up to Dover from Pennsylvania uh, to watch a race. And yeah. Watched Dale Jr. win. Came what back. an experience! That was that was something else, and it's still on. Uh, it's very prevalent on YouTube. That whole pre-race and all that stuff is unbelievable. You just type in like Dover 2001 pre-race. Oh, it's, you know I will. You know that's what we're doing well, after the show. There, I'm that's, tra- that's the rest of the night. Forget Gettysburg. We're not watching that. I'm looking up this. This is that's great. Yeah, that, that's I, I was sitting in turn four. What's that? I was sitting in turn four. What's turn four? Explain to an idiot like uh, me. Turn four at Dover. So, you know, you have turns one and two. So basically turn four. Oh, yeah, yeah. Turn four, I could see right down the, the front straightaway. Oh, shit. Uh, where the cars were going. So. What is like, this is a dumb question, but like when you're at these events, how long is a race usually? Is it like a football game where it's three and a half hours? Is it? Yeah, usually, unless something happens, like if there's a huge crash, then it might be like four and a half or five hours. I've been to races where there's a rain delay, too, and it's taken all day. That happened to my parents. They went to, I think it was Dover like two years ago, and they got rained out. I still never asked them why they went to NASCAR, which I need to like bring that up. But they they said it got rained out. Right, a raffle or something. No, I think they really like it. My mom's like an NRA member now and drives a truck. I think she's very into the culture of NASCAR for real. Yeah. She has like her concealed carry permit and all that. So like, I think she's really into the scene. So I got to ask, I'm not bunching well, out NASCAR, but what's that? I want to meet your mom. Oh, you love her. She's cool. She's a nurse. She's a COVID nurse. So she's like, right. she's a hero. She's a badass. 
Yeah, as as are you, sir. I, I thank you for your service too. But uh, I feel like those races though would be so much fun just to get just to have a couple beers and like get outside, like back at it. And like I was a I was a senior in high school when my buddy and I, I know. Broke, and we weren't you... drinking. We weren't even drinking. Like we didn't have anything. Like I can seriously say we did not have anything. I guess at that point you're already jacked up. Like after everything that happened and being there, like. Yeah, like, we didn't even know if it was going to go until like that Friday. And like my dad like called and was like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go. I'm here. Bye. So you guys trekked it down from PA and yeah, my buddy and I were at a party the night before I left early and I slept at my parents' house, my house at that point. But I'll never forget. I'm like sitting there, I'm waiting for him. And he was coming back from the party. He had, I think slept with a girl that night. And he comes like his Jeep comes on like two wheels coming over the corner and like coming over. Cause he was like 20 minutes late and he knew I would be pissed because when it comes to NASCAR, oh, shit, shit. I am like, yeah, we need to leave here. We need to have this and this and this. And, and he's kind yeah. of the same way, which was, so it was totally out of character for him to be late, but he came up on two wheels coming in and he's like, all right, man, I'm sorry. Let's go. Smell my fingers. Did so, you- no fingers. This is Pete, right? I've met Pete. He's been on the show before with you, right? No, not the same Pete. Different Pete. Okay. So when you guys get, so you guys trekked it down there and you made it on time? Yeah. Yeah, we made Dude, it on so time. That's so much fun. Got in the state, like, and it was like, because you're just like a high school kid and you're like, oh my God, this is like, and this was, this was yeah. just like massive sporting event since we had that issue, you know, yes. with 9-11. I couldn't. I wish I were friends with you in high school. I just drove around New Hope yelling at people out the window with people and drinking beer. Like, I, I wasn't at any cool things like that. I went to concerts, but that was it. I went to a Pearl Jam concert. And Pearl Jam. I, I like Pearl Jam, but I do too. I'm not a big concert guy. Like, no. NASCAR races. I, I'm I with fun. you. I like sporting events. Concerts are fun, but I'd rather just listen to like the CD track. And watch it on TV because you're just kind of standing around waiting. I have seen Stones though too. Me too. Stones was the best concert I've ever seen. Same here, man. My first concert was Bridges to Babylon, Babylon at age 16 with my parents. It's still the best concert I've ever been to. I saw it with my ex mother in law. Hey, it's the Stones. It doesn't matter if you see it with, you know? It was awesome. Like, because we were, she's handicapped. So we were in the handicap section and. Mick Jagger like had this whole stage to run out on, and he was like right near us. Like I almost oh, nice Mick Jagger sweat. Mick Jagger sweat this sweat. I'm sure on eBay too. So yeah. You what? I'm just kidding. No, I didn't do that. No, oh, so I uh I was I went to a Phillies game once, and I was I had to piss really bad when we got to the car, which was far out. So I just peed in the car in a bottle, and my one friend thought it was funny to shake it the car. So I got piss all over the car, and I was like, "Well, you guys are driving home in it too. Let's do this." Yeah, fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. Let's yeah, hop on in. I remember. I'm not trying to bring up urination stories, but I was driving to see my ex girlfriend. She was in New York City. She lived in London. She flew over. Where are you coming from? I'm coming from Pennsylvania. So I took the Holland. I took the Lincoln Tunnel up, and there was traffic like you wouldn't believe. Oh, and I I had to go to the bathroom to the point where I was going to piss my pants or. That was it. So I, I just, I had a Gatorade bottle, and I, you know, in traffic, I, I had to do it. 
well, there's a bus next to me, a tour bus that was stopped too. And I just remember looking up and seeing all these people looking at me, exposing myself, urinating. And I'm like, welcome to America. Like, this is it. Hand. It's like, yeah, this is like kind of after 9-11. I'm like, we're I'm the best that we, that I have to offer. I'm sorry. I'll try to represent us better next time. Because it was like a, you could tell it was like a tourist bus. I think there were like, eight, you know, Asian tourists in there. And I was like, yeah. this is us. Taking pictures of you. Yeah, well, of course. I wish oh, they look, did. He has tiny penis than we do. Look how small it is. I can't even see. It looks like chopstick. Stop it. Crazy. Kidding. But yeah, um, so back to, just real quick, back to NASCAR, because I'm fascinating that you know so much about NASCAR. Are you going to a race this year? And if so, when? I was supposed to go to Talladega uh, in two weeks. I deferred my tickets to next year because Talladega is still spacing out their seats. And I would not have been guaranteed where I was supposed to sit. So you could be in like a nosebleed? Well, you want to be in a nosebleed at Talladega. Those are the more expensive seats. That's what I pay for. So you could be in the foot bleed where your feet, that's not a reference. I would still be in my section, but I would be in a different place. And I just don't want them to dick around with that. So I said, you know, defer to next year. I have nine tickets, defer to next year. I've already paid for them. We're good to go. And they, they honor that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because next year totally. we'll be back in full swing, right? Yeah. Totally fine. And I'm almost kind of regretting it now because I wish, like, I'm almost thinking about just, like, purchasing, like, Sunday tickets just to go up there and bring my kids. Yeah. I need earplugs because it's, that is fucking loud as hell when they come Is by. it? I bet. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Doesn't that jack you up, though, how loud it is? You're like, this yeah. is fucking great. Oh, it, uh, it puts a little tingle in your ball. It does. Like, how do you not get jacked up from that? You're like, this is awesome. Yeah. The the cars that you see too, uh, before the race, do they? Do you get to like see them like warming up or anything, or are they kind of just still? Yeah. What what happens at Talladega is they all sit them on the pit road, and they do it all different at all racetracks. But for the most part, they sit them on pit road, and then they say, you know, gentlemen, start your engines, and then they crank them up. They actually say that. Yeah, gentlemen, start your engines, and you can hear it in the stands, and everybody cheers, and then it's like, boom. It's like an explosion, oh. and they all start up, and you can't hear anything just with them idling. I mean, they are so fucking loud idling. It is un-fucking- Just idling, you can, you can hear, yeah. like, you can feel the tremble. Yeah, and I love, my favorite part awesome. of any race is when they're starting to pull off a pit road just to get in line to go, go out on the track, like- it's awesome like a couple cars might stall so they have to pull off and like the pit crews are working on it and everything just trying to get the starter to work and really it, it is such an experience clark you are coming to talladega 2022 and i'm going to mark it here we are going to do a podcast from talladega yes 2022 it is april 13th 2021 and it's now set in stone a year hand, from I don't have a Bible with me, but hand on the on by our good word next year, Talladega 2022. This I is going to be April 2022. April. Yes. Late April, early May. All right, I'm gonna Lock put this out. down. Make sure you do not have anything going on. Oh, I can promise you I don't have anything going on. <laughs> uh, there's no there's no you could ask me like in two and six months. Stop there's it. nothing going on. I can promise you that. I have to ask you a question. Let's do it, though. That would be so cool. We've talked about this for years. we got to just do it. 
I yeah. just have to do it. Pull the trigger, pull your pants down, take a shit. I'm all about it. I'm all about whipping the pants down. Have you seen a false start or anything during one of these races where like oh, yeah. a car like screws up right away or anything weird like that? Or are they all pretty good? Yeah, like on like last week on TV, like they have what's called the choose cone, which is these drivers have a point in the track where during caution, right before they go back to green, they get to choose their line, low or high. So they're already in a position in the pack, but they get have a choose cone. They come up to a choose cone, they can go low or high. So they they duck out low or high, low or high. And some of these guys like to back it up. So they can't like, you know, they, they have time to react to it and they can't NASCAR then flags them. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't do that. You're fucked to the back. Oh shit. And they got to do like the shame walk. Yeah, pretty what much. They... Well, not the shame walk. You get to the shame walk to the whole field. Then when it goes green, you gotta, you gotta work your way back up front. Is that common or is that? It happens. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's especially prevalent at like short tracks where like you have the choose cone where at certain short tracks, it's like, it's an advantage to have the inside line, but then you have all these guys picking the inside line. Well, you only have one guy on the outside line. You can go all the way up and maybe muscle your way in when they go green to the inside line. So it oh. makes for a more interesting racing dynamic. You know? you know what I think? And I could be completely wrong because I don't know NASCAR, so you can correct me, but... You know who I bet has the most pressure, whose job like is probably the most rewarding and most horrific, is not the driver. Yes, the spotlight's on them, but they're still like making money and they're a celebrity kind of thing. Yeah, it's like the guys in the pit crew to be on that pressure to fix that shit under the gun during yeah. a race with everybody watching you. It's like it's like your job. It'd be like working your job, like working my job at a desk. And all of a sudden, like, everybody's in there like, hurry up, hurry up, we got two minutes. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you screw up, like, that's it. Is that not the most, like, stressful job ever? Probably. When you're on TV. Yeah, probably because, too, like, when the car goes into the box, you cannot jump over the pit wall until the car is in the box. And it's like last year with Kyle Larson's crew, one of his pit crew guys jumped off the box too quickly. And before the car was in the box and he went back and touched the wall to show NASCAR that, you know, he wasn't giving Kyle Larson an unfair advantage and they had to review it and all that stuff. But those guys not only have to consider the fact that they have to change the tires, but they have to consider the fact that they have to watch the car come into the box, stop and then go out, pit the car come back out, make sure nothing is rolling out, you know, the tires and all that stuff. And these are 90-pound tires that they throw over the wall, basically. Shit. Wait, I didn't know that was that was a whole element. I just assumed they, they slowed down and the guys were there like, let's go. There, there's a whole system of oh, the yeah. car has to be in the box before because they can't have an advantage of, like, getting to it quicker. Well, it's a safety issue, too, because they used to have uh, – now they have, like, a pit road speed. You know, back 20 years ago, they didn't even have a pit road speed. These cars are coming down the pit road doing 150 miles an hour, and unfortunately they had a crash where on pit road where Ricky Rudd's car got spun around and hit uh, another car and killed three or four crew guys. Oh, shit. It's like plowed into them. And they can't have that. It, that's unacceptable. I mean, like, yeah. th- this is modern-day racing, you know. You look yeah. at Formula One where the cars come in, and they literally come in, and the jack is uh, 
centered in the middle of the car and they come in and just like, boom, hit the box, like, bzzz, bzzz, and they're out in five seconds. NASCAR pit stops are about 12 seconds with oh, four wow. tires, and full fuel. That's and crazy. Take full fuel and, you know, you have the guys changing the tires and the guy, the fuel guy comes in, hits it. He throws the can out. The other guy gives him the other can, hits it again. You know, you pull 24 gallons into that tank and then the car goes. As soon as the, the, the key for the driver on the pit stop is when the jack drops. As soon as the jack drops, car goes. That's when he, he has it in neutral and he's probably has it about like 3,000 RPM. And then just as soon as the jack drops, he drops it into first and boom. Damn. What's the average time on a pit stop? About 12 seconds. That's crazy. Four tires and a full tank of gas. Damn. That's and amazing. That's hitting, that's hitting six lugs. That's amazing to watch, too. When you watch those on like YouTube, you're like, it's yeah. amazing. Do those guys get paid well? I hope they get paid pretty well. They do, and a lot of them are like former college football players because they have to be. They're they got to be jacked up. Yeah, and the jack guy, the guy who jacks the car up has to be at least 230 pounds. Has to weigh at least that. Because that's what it takes to get the car up on the first pump. After that, after that first pump, you and I can put that car up, you know, to wherever we want it. But on a on a pit stop, that first pump has to be the best pump and has to jack that car up as much as possible. So you gotta be you gotta be a big dude. You yeah. could do that. Mm. Right? You're a pretty big guy. I could probably be a tire changer. No, probably not. I think you could, could be, be a driver, Bob. I think you could be a driver if you wanted to be. No, if I had any aspirations for that, those days are past. I have uh, done some pretty. We've actually we got some really good go karting tracks here around Georgia. If you come, oh, up, I love go karting. Like outdoor go karting, which is like we're going like eighty miles an hour. Yeah, I went to one of those in Jersey once. It was one of those like yeah, it's higher like, end one. It gets to a point where like you're kind of like you get to a point where you're going so fast, you're kind of like scared to hit people. Yeah. Yeah. You're going, you're, you're, some of them are kind of like unregulated. They're like, Oh yeah, go to go yeah. this time, this track. Yeah. It's like breaking bad out there. You're like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? Well, we had like a hairpin turn and my one buddy and I went down in there and he was ahead of me and I knew this was the last turn. This was the last lap. So I just drove into the right, right to the back of him and rode <laughs> into the turn. Oh, did he <laughs> spin out? Oh yeah. No, I pushed him right into like the wall. <laughs> he was gone. They are it fun. Wasn't, it wasn't any types of craftsmanship or anything. It was just like right to the wall. His ass. It is addicting, and you do. Get, it does get competitive. You're you're on the race go karts, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the whole race he was banging me, and then came around, and then oh, he was he was asking for it. Yeah. If you watch the movie Rush or Days of Thunder, you have a couple beers, and you get one of those things. Forget about it. It's on. Let's yeah. do it. 